0: Man, the thing is though, is that I'm a little bit thirsty, maybe even dehydrated.
1: Are you are you, th- are you dehydrated? Thirsty and dehydrated are two different things. I don't know if you know this, but it's time to learn on the podcast. Uh if you're thirsty, that is the beginning of dehydration, you're already, I believe, two percent dehydrated if you can feel thirst. How would you but how would you fix it? Trent,
2: what's peaches gonna do?
3: Uh, get an IV. Is there anything that works as well as an IV? I don't know. Oh, that's typically I mean, what I-, I try to
1: do. I am glad you asked. I am glad you asked, especially me being the medical professional. Everybody, clear some room. (laughs) What if I told you that there was a beverage that has IV-level hydration and you don't need to know how to stick an IV to do it? Would that be something that you'd be interested in, Trent?
3: Yeah, yeah, because every time someone tells me that they know how to stick an IV, it usually turns into a disaster. Also, I enjoy uh, great flavors, you know. I, I enjoy, you know, sitting down with a nice cold beverage when I'm feeling a little thirsty or dehydrated you know, watermelon, orange, dragon fruit. Any of those things ringing a bell or peaches? It's peach, obvious Peach we about, Peach threat. mango.
0: <laughs> it's Hop obvious. on over it's it. Obvious. It's obvious. Yeah. Well, we're talking about I mean, Hoist. Is get that it what we We would rather you go to drinkhoist.com and use our promo code, onesready. That way you can get yourself a discount. Because again, if you're at the commissary or you're at Kroger or wherever you're going, wherever you could buy Hoist, hey, that's great. But uh, you're not getting a discount. So go ahead. Head over to drinkhoist.com and then use the promo codes when you're ready. But there are things that we do that, you know, make us dehydrated, make us thirsty. Uh, And that is training. And we use equipment to train. So where would one go if I wanted to focus to to get some equipment, 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 equipment that would, uh, you know, help me train for Aspect War or Ranger or Green Berets or Navy SEALs?
1: Well, there there can't be one place that has all that gear. Let there me is. just Google. There Bring that up. Yeah, Look, attacklead.com. So if you go over to attacklead.com right now, that's A-T-A-C-L-E-T-E.com, attacklead.com. You can check out all kinds of pre-made kits for everything that you need for training. Do you want to be a Coast Guard rescue swimmer? Do you want to be an Aspect war, Seals, MARSOC, Recon, any of these things? Everything from rucks to weight vests to fins and masks, booties. Everything you need, all the way up to supplements. Go over and check out attackelite.com and you can see uh, their whole range of gear uh, over there at attackelite.com. And you can use our code onesready at checkout to get a sweet discount.
3: Absolutely. If you respect yourself and value your time, you'll just go there instead of spending two hours searching all over the internet for stuff that you're not even sure if is the right thing. Is that what you would do? Yep. Go to attackelite.com?
1: That's so what I would 100%. It, yeah. is, it is the most efficient. It's the gear that you need to train, it's the most uh, close gear to the stuff that you're actually going to use in the pipeline. They use the exact pieces of gear when they can, and once again, you can get everything you need in a single kit. So, go check out attackly.com, use the code onesready at checkout. And now, onto this awesome podcast with our host Chief TJ Ganell.
0: It's we're we're trying to go a little bit more professional. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ones Ready podcast. You're in the team room, and we got the crew back together, and we have brought on Chief TJ Ganell. He is a tech by trade. You spent most of your time as a soft tech bee, though, from what I, I understand. Yep. So um, welcome. Appreciate you joining us. Thank this you. It's kind of been like two years in the making. Um, yep. Yep. I mean, you and I worked each other when you were at AFSOC headquarters. I was at SoCov right. headquarters, um, but we kind of wanted to give you some time in your new position before he brought you back on. So before we go into your legislative liaison gig, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, build some of those bona fides, maybe a little sure. bit about uh, being a soft tech P and all that kind of good stuff. And then we'll we'll press.
2: Okay. Too easy. So, hey, thanks for having me on. You're right. It has been two years in the making. Uh, it's good to uh, you know be a fan from afar, but now to be on and be able to provide something besides just coming on and Mouth breathing with you guys, so I appreciate that. Um, the first, a uh, little bit about me. So I, I grew up in uh, Columbus, Ohio, Aaron O H. Um, uh, you know, oh, I was already there on a bit there it from is, the there it is. Ohio State University. That's right. Yes, yeah, so my daughter, so I have three daughters. My oldest daughter is a junior at Ohio State right now. Doing so both. she's out. She, yep, she's gonna ha- gonna have an alumni in the family soon. So it'll be great. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I have three daughters. One's a junior at Ohio State. Then I have an eleven-year-old and a seven-year-old. So, a girl dad, uh, been married 17 years. Uh, Came in in 2004. I started working at, uh, went to college for a little bit. Um, Decided, hey, you know, there's two wars going on. Uh, I'm a happy, healthy individual and I need to get in the fight. Uh, I almost did uh, join the Navy out of high school. I went and talked to a recruiter who was a I, I played sports with his brother. His, the older brother was a, a Navy recruiter. You know, I kind of almost joined then. Kind of had a calling towards it. Went and talked to him. And he's like, ah, maybe hold off, go to college for a little bit, and then decide what you want to do. So maybe not the best recruiter. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> how, uh, many, how, how many people in our career field, though, have a story exactly like
1: that? Like, oh, I was yeah. going to join the Navy, but they were at lunch. No kidding. I you know Same sort of story with me. Ohio. The Marine yeah. Corps guy was at lunch, and that was no yeah. kidding. I walked in, I was like, "This door's open. Let's go. Uh, let's go check this guy out."
2: Yeah, it, well, just to go further with that. So then I like I talked to him in you know 2000 at the time when I was graduating high school. Decided not to do it. Went to college for a little bit. Um, you know that didn't work out. I was going to school. Blah blah blah. Ended up having my daughter. I uh, started working at Nationwide Insurance at the corporate headquarters in Columbus, Ohio, just to make a living, and while well, I was going to school for a little while. Uh, absolutely horrible was not for me to sit in a corporate office. Uh, I did that for three years. It was the worst thing I've ever done in my life. So when everyone's like, oh, I love corporate America. I'm like, mm, "That's not for me. That <laughs> it, it, yeah, it may be your thing, but it's, it is not my thing. Um, and so yeah, I walked in, I said, you know, Hey, I am do this now in 2004. Like I said, I originally told my parents and I went and talked to an army recruiter and I was like, Hey, I'm gonna do a ranger contract. I'm gonna get in there and I'm gonna start, I'm gonna give it the rangers and what I'm gonna do this thing. My dad was like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. You know, this is like at the height of 2004 when the Army is oh, yeah. just getting crushed with IEDs. You're you're watching, you know, every up video. Armor, Humvees just getting destroyed every day every in the streets of Baghdad. Yeah. Yep. And so my dad's like, whoa, whoa, let's, you know, let's hold on a second. How about you just go talk to the Air Force recruiter? And, you know, I'd already talked to the Army recruiter. I'd already gone in there. He was ready to set me up. And I was like, all right, listen, I'll talk to the Air Force guy. But it, it, only if he has something similar to what I want to do. And, uh, you know, lucky for me, the Air Force recruiter was not at lunch that day. He was actually in the office and I got a hold of him and uh, he ended up, you know, talking me into this. And so it ended up being the best move. And I, I took it on and came in and I've uh, been a TACP for a little over 18, almost 19 years now. Um, as Peachy said, I started four years in the conventional side. I did 40 years with AD Deuce, uh, the 1-4 the ASOS out uh, of Bragg, did that, decided I wanted to go to the soft side, uh, came over, went to the 17th STS, what was the 17th ASOS at the time, transitioned yep. halfway through the time I was there. Um, did that for five years, and then when the 2.6 STS was standing up in Canada, I had the opportunity to go out there, so I volunteered to go out there. Uh, I did five years out there. Then came to ASOC headquarters, worked with Peachy for two years uh, while he was at SOCOM, and then uh, transitioned into this program that I'm currently in with uh, the legislative liaison thing about two and a half years ago. So I got about six, eight months left.
1: And that's where we're at now. We, we always say that this job, these these lives are a choose your own adventure. And you just laid out that exact choose your own adventure from conventional yeah. side to soft side to the, those, uh, you know, additional duties that, that people don't even know that we can do that, that you're in now. I want to focus yeah. on something that you you let in with cuz we get this question all the time and it's about sure. you know family and I feel stuck in my life and what what were the conversations like cuz you were married you had a kid you had yep. all of the, you had a nice easy corporate job I actually just watched Fight Club yesterday so as you're describing this corporate job yeah. I just oh, picture yeah. you like making yeah. little haikus about the worker bee and the Queen is yeah. not their slave. <laughs> I love it. The Queen is their slave. Um, so what was that conversation like when you were you were like, hey, listen, I got it. This whole Ohio living in Columbus on the banks of the Tangier River. It's sure. great working for this insurance company, but I want to go do something in 2004 in the height of it, just like you were saying, man, it, we were getting it yeah. on. It was a it was a large scale DTAC environment. Like we were we were doing the job. What was that conversation like with your spouse?
2: Uh, so I'll give you a little inside personal info. I was not married. So I had a kid in college, oh, okay. uh, not, not married. Uh, so I was a single dad. Uh, I had my daughter okay. half the time. Uh, her mother had her half the time. So the conversation was more with my two-year-old, if you can have oh, wow. one at that age, uh, and my family about, you know, Hey, whenever, if, if I go and do this, what does that look like for you all when I'm gone? What does that look like for her down the road? Uh, but to be completely honest, I'll just lay out my personal stuff on the table for you. Uh, I really didn't have another choice. I was not making good money at Nationwide. I was working mm-hmm. two to three jobs at that time just to, to pay child support, to, you know, keep her going, to have her half the time. Uh, I was living with my parents. I was probably never going to get out of there. I was paying for school at the time too. Uh, so it was almost one of those times where you, you just have, you know, it was an inflection point. You know, I, I, had to make a decision. Am I going to do this the rest of my time, or am I going to answer this calling? Because it, you know, it, it to me this is my calling. Like what I am doing right now, wearing a uniform every day, showing it's my calling. It's what I'm supposed to do. Um, I love it every single day. At year nineteen, I I I love it. Um, so it, it's it's definitely where I'm supposed to be. It just took a, it was a little bit harder to get to that point when when it comes to making that decision. But man, it it was. I tell people all the time, it was the hardest decision I ever made in my life. Cause when, when you walk away and you, you know, I, I, my daughter was two at the time, but she was never going to have the life she has right now, or she's going to college for free on the post nine eleven GI bill. And she's getting paid to go to college. That was, that was never going to happen. So yeah, man, it was, it was miserable. So we are going to pull that clip, and I'm just
1: going to play it on repeat every time somebody sends us a DM about how they're like, "Oh, I don't know if I can make this change in my life." Yeah. I'm going to play that clip, Chief, and I'm I'm just going to play it on repeat for them until they until they believe themselves. So,
2: yeah, um, you have you to know, you want show up
1: to. It. You got to want it. Yeah, you show up to basic training. You you get through basic training, and you hit that TAC P. The you know the first. TAC, part of the P pipeline. What was the what was the vibe like back then? Because, like I said, you you were training to get into the pipeline to immediately go and and you know you you already laid it out, but you got out of the pipeline and immediately hit the eighty second. What was your experience like in the pipeline as you were getting ready um, with Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria? You know, on the on the short horizon. Sure.
2: Well, at the time, a lot of the instructors at the schoolhouse. So I, I went when it was at Herbie still. So for all of you that understand what if you've been to Herbie and you know where the STTS compound is right now, that was a giant open field at the time that I came through where TACP yep. had their PT pits. And so you would leave the dorms that were over on Tully street and you would ruck your butt over there in the mornings and, you know, have PT uh, on that field. And the TACP, P um, what was it? The Oak course, was right across the street from that where now is like a, an overflow tent for at STTS where they do, selection and assessment and all that stuff and yeah. Um but it was a cool vibe uh, to be honest it was it was I came through in the summertime I got there in May and went through uh, I think October and November so it was it was herbie hot the entire time we were there a lot of sound PT all the instructors had combat experience had they had gone they were the initial instructors that that had initial Iraq Afghanistan experience and had come there maybe yeah. for a little bit of a break because early on ta were doing six to 12 month rotations with the army, if they they were doing six, yeah. if they had enough guys to rotate out at 12 months, if they didn't, they were doing full 12 monthers. Um, so the instructors were all those guys that, you know, combat experience. So they were more than ready to get you ready. And then what I liked at the time was, so there were three airborne slots for my class uh, because the 82nd or the 173rd, where you were going to graduate and go support as attack B. that's how many a1c or airman openings positions they had on their umd that, that they needed filled right so they said hey you know we could take three guys this course so there were three jump school slots with the intent that you're going to roll under the 82nd or the 173rd after graduation but they made it a competition so day one <laughs> week it. one who wants Get to go it. to airborne school and there's like yep. 25 guys in my class and you'd be shocked only about 15 people raise their hand not not all 25 i mean i
1: I was kind of surprised. Yeah, because it's scary, because that stuff is terrifying. Holy cow. Every time it (laughs) comes up, I'm like, wait, guys, we're going to jump out of an airplane. This sounds dangerous. Let's pass. Yeah.
2: I heard you guys talking a couple weeks ago about the barracks. So we stayed in those open door barracks. that The door never closed. Somebody wakes up three hours early because they're afraid they're going to miss formation. And you're already getting to formation three hours early. But yeah, Uh, that's a little off topic. Anyway, going back. So you, you competed. So it was uh, it was the entire time you were in TACV schoolhouse. You competed against 15 people, whoever wanted to go for three jump slots. So they counted everything: dorm inspections, uh, your written tests, your field test, uh, any anything and everything they could assess you on. They would, they would, you know, there was smoke sessions, how you did in a smoke session, you know, all those things. So at the end of the day, uh, me and two other guys uh, ended up getting jump school slots. Uh, I had orders for Campbell; they turned those off. And you get jump school slots. And then if somebody wants to take your orders, they do that. But that was essentially the vibe uh, at at the Tackby Schoolhouse at the time. So you competed to go to okay.
1: Fayetteville? Is that what happened? I, I, yeah. <laughs> I did. You competed to go to Fort Benning, Georgia. What? Yeah. <laughs> what an idiot. I know. I know. <laughs> he volunteered for jump school and immediately –
2: Immediately to them, all American boys, them them Deuce Aces, baby, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> to me, though, that was the path that uh, from where I wanted to go, because ultimately the path was to get to the regiment and to get to supporting, uh, you know, the Rangers in, in some aspect. That was my goal. And so one of the instructors, excuse me, at the Tactics Schoolhouse, he had come from there at at one point and said, "Hey, if this is what you really want to do, these are the places you need to go because they will set you up for success in the next phase of what you want to do."
3: Has that, has that competing for, uh, the job that you want changed at all throughout your career? Like no, every step I mean, I it? think
2: every job, no, I think you guys know, I mean, I think every job you go to, uh, I, I competed to get to the 17th, competed to get to the, like you guys are saying the, the 14th, uh, the two six was more of a volunteer thing. I don't know that I had to compete for that, but that was a voluntary thing. And then, uh. I think you're you're kind of always in that assessment on against your peers on trying to be the best or who's going to be the best to go fill especially when you're an assock in AFSOC and the competition and the level of of what you are uh, in the team room every day against with guys I think that kind of Oh yeah. There's an unspoken competition there whether I mean you still want to be a really good teammate obviously but there's always that that healthy competition that you're competing against those guys. And then obviously it was an assessment I, yeah. to get into this program. I will right, never right. forget no, and, being
1: deployed I got Trent. I'm going to interrupt you because I hate you and I don't respect you as a person. I will. I will never forget. You know, my first team leader. We were in Iraq with a Ranger uh, security teams, like 2009 or 2010. And one of the guys, we had a competition every single day to end every single day. We had some sort of skills competitions. The sun was coming up and we were getting off alert. We did a competition, and this young, you know, E4 non-tabbed Ranger guy was just like, I don't understand. You know, when did this become a competition? And my team leader, who was a crow, uh, old TX, if you know, Rod Taylor. Yeah. Uh, TX, yeah. looked at, uh, <laughs> TX looked at TX looked at this guy and he goes like, when was it a competition? The day you raised your hand, the second that you swore into this yeah. thing, it became a competition. We are always competing. Yeah. Go ahead, Trent. I, I'm
2: sorry. I, so yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no,
3: no I, I'm, I'm good. I like the competition. We, we get those questions all the time. Uh, but I was, I was going to ask, you know, you go to the 82nd and, and people are, at least I would like to know, going to the uh, 17th after that uh, from the one four, what what's the culture change like, and and was it worth it? Like, why would you want to go from the you know eighty deuce? Like those guys were pretty busy at the time too. So I'm assuming you, you sure. got some good work in there. Uh, but what was yep. what was the big difference going from that unit over to uh, the 17th?
2: Big difference. Uh, the big difference was it was just the the level I think of of what you were working with. So the 82nd was good. I had a good flavor. I went to Afghanistan with, for my first deployment with them. Uh, but I got a taste of uh, I think the soft community. At that point, so I, I got lucky. The first deployment, I went with, like I said, with the 82nd to Afghanistan, uh, and but then I got picked again. I guess you want to call it. There was a co- internal competition that nobody knew about. There was a company minus of 82nd, so two platoons minus the, the third platoon stayed at Salerno. Two platoons that got put out on the Pakistan border uh, with an ODA team, and so they had a JTAG out there that was supporting the, the company minus. And I would time as a Romad and they were like, Hey, we need a Romad to go out here. He's going to stay a little longer and go out there with him. So Peaches actually knows this guy, Keith Griefer uh, was the J that I got paired up with. And I got lucky. He was with the company minus, but the ODA team had a tag P at the time who was match like. And so I got introduced to the tag P soft tag P community at the time that way. So I spent a couple months out there with those guys with an ODA team doing patrols, doing overwatch on this little tiny fob right on the Pakistan border where they let me control, you know, where they were standing there listening, they let me, you know, they were teaching me everything. Uh, it was a very intimate, small team environment, which, you know, is very notorious for the soft community. Whereas the conventional side, much bigger, that was very out of the ordinary for the 82nd um, to have that, that kind of small, you know, company minus. They usually didn't have JTAGs out there, but the level of, uh, I guess, Uh, intensity that they were seeing at that outpost, we needed to be out there. So that's where I got it. And then coincidentally, uh, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but networking, uh, having a strong network helped me down the road. So MS ended up being the, uh, he came home from that deployment and became the 17th squadron superintendent. And so I said, okay, great. Uh, I'm going to continue to submit a package. But at the time you had to have JTAG experience so I had to come back and then find another deployment after I got my JTAG qualification to then get my foot in the door in the 17th. But yeah, it was, it was small team. It was, in, it was the next level. It was, you know what I mean? Like it was, I don't want to say the 82nd is JV, but when you're talking about going from, you know, learning, that was the that level. And then I, I wanted to move up to the varsity level, which the Rangers to me, that that's what it felt like. I mean, they are the, the epitome of a, a, a small infantry unit. They're incredible.
0: No. And, and I think the 17th epitomizes that as well, because across special tactics, anybody that actually has a chance to go work with the 17th, maybe it's, you know, on an M or something like that. I, I have yet to meet a 17th dude that is sloppy, overweight, sure. yeah. unprofessional. Um, doesn't have their, their stuff together. Like these, these, these guys are incredibly professional. They're like I said, I haven't met one that's, that's overweight, but they're usually in really good shape. They are some incredible JTACs, incredible operators. And yeah. I like, I, it's funny because me and, um, Deutman, right? right. Yeah. We were actually talking about this because he came from that unit. Sure. And we were always saying like, okay, so what is it that gets those guys, uh, makes them so professional? Is it that they are around the Rangers and they live and breathe with them all the time? Is it the, the ANS that we put them through like to select? Is it, Mm -hmm. is it all the above? Like the professionalism is incredible with the 17th and their culture is fantastic.
2: Yeah. I I think when you talk about what, what makes them that way. So I'll say I think we definitely select guys that are in that mold. You know what I mean? And then I, you know, which, which does well. And then the internal NCOs of the 17th help to then groom guys when they come in, Hey, this is the expectation. This is the standard you're going to be held to, you know, you're going to get on board. And then you come in and Ranger just continues to, to do that even more. I mean, I, as a young, I was in an E five when I first got there. So I was a young staff sergeant and, and that kind of molded how I was going to be as an NCO because they do such a good job of, of mentoring their young guys and making them NCOs. I mean, I, I think it just, it, it's what it just, And then it just becomes instilled in you. I mean, you've had Tommy on several times. Tommy was my boss when I got to the 17th. So, you know, TC will tell you that's, it's, it's the Ranger way.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and he's fantastic. We haven't released his episodes yet, but we're going to, like I, like I said before here, yeah, we, we've got a lot of tack P content coming out. So we've tried to kind of space it out. A
2: yeah. Bit. Yeah.
1: But if anybody um, ever asked for tack P content again, I'm just going to pull. like point <laughs> yeah. eight hours, the eight hours of content that we just put out in a week. Oh,
0: the, um, you had, you had already mentioned a couple names, um, Although sure. you didn't, you didn't hit the the moniker mentor, but we've had, you know, we've had a lot of folks on, we've had Ivan Ruiz who was a taxi sure. now a PJ or now retired yep. PJ, but you know, he had mentioned like Buddy MacArthur helped yep. guide him. He, you know, and, and people along the way, even Tommy Case did the same thing. You've mentioned a couple of names, but yeah. like who have some of those mentors been for you? Sure. Um, not just while you were at the 14th, but also at the 17th, but then, um, like, and in what way did they shape you or influence you?
2: I'm glad we talked about, I'm glad you mentioned this. So it, it may come as a surprise to some people. So I, I had, you know, match like I had a Keith Griefer as a young guy. Uh, I had the Tommy cases at the 17th, um, uh, you know, the Josh Gavilux uh, those kind of guys that were, were always there to kind of teach you and groom you. Uh, when I got to the 2-6, uh, that was when I kind of started to learn how to be uh, a senior NCO. And, and one of the mentors there was a PJ. It was Yo-Yo. Uh, Yo-Yo no. was – he was towards the end of his career. And, you know, he had so much knowledge. It was insane. And and I hadn't had, I guess – you know, you're kind of out on your own at the 17th, and it's so – you know, you're right there. It's it's just a Tag P community, just with the Rangers. And so you kind of get lost in the, the army, uh, all the time and you don't get as much air force, which I know, you know, people may not like that. that some people may like it. I thought it was great to get out of that and get to an air force base for a little bit when I got to Canon and to have him, cause he was so, you know, he, he knows how to play the game. If you will, he knew exactly how to play the game, the internal air force game, uh, the, the ST game. He, he was incredible. So yo-yo was huge. Uh, so PJ, incredible, incredible mentor. Uh, and then while I was at the can while I was at Canada too, uh another one, Jamie Clark, has been a huge mentor for me, another PJ. Um, he, he was incredible. Brad Lentz, combat controller. So I met Brad Lentz on my first uh 17th deployment. He was with uh, another SMU and uh we were working together and he uh you know he was a tech sergeant at the time, I was a young staff sergeant. Hey, I was like, hey, man, I asked him a billion questions, and he was super cool about it, very humble, uh, was always willing to help. And then when I was at the 17th, I had heard from a friend that he was going to, to Cannon. He was leaving uh, the, to go be the, the – help stand up the 2-6 and be the squadron superintendent. So I called him and said, hey, is this true? Are you going out there? Yeah, he is. I talked to him on the phone for like an hour, hour and a half. He was – Probably ninety percent of the reason why I went to Canon was so that I could go out there and work with him. Um, so yeah, guys like that were were huge for me uh, inside that you know the mentoring factor of it. And Jamie Clark continues to be. Jamie Clark is the reason why I got into the the Legislative Fellows program. I had seen him at a conference, you know, and I, I hadn't talked to him in a little while. This was when I think he was uh, he had moved on from the two four South position, and you know I he he'd said, hey if you need anything, let me know. And I said, well, actually, you know, I'd I'd love to hear your advice on, I'm trying to, you know, find something new outside the box, you know, find an assignment that that may be off the radar that nobody knows about. And he said, let me think about it and I'll let you know. Like a week later, he called me and said, Hey, I think I got something for you and sent me the ad for the legislative fellows program. And and then uh, it was kind of off and running after that. So. Well, that's, that's a
1: perfect segue, because we really want to talk about this legislative, uh, the, the, yeah. the legislative fellows program. Um, so first of all, just describe like, what is it? So I mean, is it only for chiefs? Is it only for high ranking people? Is it for high performers? We have a lot of soft that, that slide over and try yeah. to get into these legislative fellows, or they try to, to be an exec in order to you know, it's it's a little bit of uh, placement and access for us to kind of win that yep. human terrain, as it were. But um, you know, just explain for the for the folks out there, what is the
2: legislative fellow, and what actually do you do? Okay, so it's a, a started off as an officer program. Okay, as many things do, and then we kind of find our way inside that. So it started out as a it's an officer. I think I think it's IDE Intermediate Development Program. So the majors. Okay. So your majors who can either do um, air command staff college in residence or you can do it virtually and attend a program like this it's along the same lines as the the programs where they go to you know they can go work at afworks or whatever uh basically they step out of their career field they're doing some kind of interview intermediate development and you know they're continuing to get some kind of education in 2015 the air force decided hey we need to start this on the enlisted side too. So in 2015, they created one position. They flipped one of the billets to be an enlisted billet. And they were only accepting E8 senior master sergeants at the time. They did that for about three or four years. And then they said, this program is amazing because what we're getting exposed to is we take an enlisted E8 and we put their experience for the last 18 to 20 years into a congressional office, whether it's in the House or the Senate, And you advise a senator or a congressman or woman about what you've experienced the last 18 years. So when you're talking about Veterans Affairs and you're talking about the Veterans Affairs Committee that's shaping legislation for the VA, uh, for MilCon. Hey, how many MilCon projects? The Air Force has a MilCon project that they are trying to get across the finish line. You can help be that that mouthpiece about, hey, why are we paying for this dormitory that's three hundred million dollars on? you know, Davis-Monthan Air Force Base. I, I know we just gave them that money. And then you can go and say, hey, man, they have asbestos or hey, they need it because of X, Y, and Z. Hey, I've been in these dorms. They, they flip really quick because there's so much churn. You know, all these things where you can lend your, your experience to that. Um, same thing, you know, you do armed services committees. Uh, they're asking you about up-and-coming technologies. They're asking you about, you know, um, things that you've seen and done overseas. They're asking you, I mean, we had the Afghanistan Exfil while I was on the hill. So there, con- my congressman oh, is wow. constantly ax- asking me about Afghanistan and he's asking about this and that. He's a former, he was a former B1 pilot, but not in the era, same era. So he has Air Force experience, but it was 20, 30 years separate from mine. So, you know, things like that is, is what we were there to do. So the program then grew a couple of years later, they did two people, two E8s for about two years. Then they grew it to three. And then the year I got selected, Uh, which was two and a half years ago. I think it was summer of 2020. I moved here. I got picked up in December of 19. And at that time they were doing four air force, one space force. So my class right now, that's what we, that's what we brought to the hill. The class after me did the same thing. uh, But this coming year, so just a heads up, the ad is going to run in the next, uh, I think, month starts in November. Is going to run, and I think they're growing it to six Air Force and one Space Force again. Potentially, maybe two Space Force in the future. Um, but safe. what what you do is you you go and advise a congressional member, and you're you're basically a, a staff assistant. You're on the staff for a, a senator or congressman. Uh, you wear a suit and tie, or you know whatever, every day, dress in business casual, and and you go and you know pretend to be. Imposter syndrome. Pretend to be a, a hill staffer for for a little while. There you go. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're a predator posing as a house pet up there. That's yeah. what you are. That's a, yeah, that's another
1: Fight Club reference. It's going to be all Fight <laughs> Club today.
2: Okay. So good. You right. were
1: there. You were there during the the BAF JTE and during that entire thing. Was that the highest stress thing you've been involved in? Was there Was there another initiative that you had to give your recommendation on that was even? I, I, I have to imagine Afghanistan had to be the most stressful time for you up there.
2: Yeah, Afghanistan was definitely the most. Trouble. I was there for six January. That was like day three or four on the. Oh go. wow! So that was <laughs> that was incredible to see too. Uh, it, I was in a in a house office building, so it was separate from the actual capital itself. Um, but they the you know the Capitol police came in. They were going door to door in the offices. Hey, you need to evacuate right now. There's a bomb threat right outside on the street of the building you're currently in. Grab your stuff and we're leaving. And we we're like, okay. So we all grabbed our stuff. And then they put us into the tunnels uh, underneath the House Office buildings that go to the Capitol, under the Senate side, and everything else. Stayed down there for a little bit, and then they were like, "Hey, this is not going to die down. You guys can just go home." And so we were like, "All right." And they're going to lock down the parking garages. So oh, you, wow. if you want to get out now, just go home. Go ahead. So the guy I was carpooling Be honest with, with it. Was everybody
1: ahead. there just looking at you like, "Okay, we know you have a gun. Just pull out a gun. Just <laughs> we need your help." Like, was everybody just looking at you like? The, the, the face of, uh, you know, I've never been in this scenario before.
2: Yeah, there was definitely a lot of people Knew like it. freaking out, tons <laughs> of people scared. Uh, and, and at the time when we got evacuated, I was like, oh, we're definitely going back to the office. Like, they're going to clear this and this is not, not a big thing. Like, we'll go back and we'll go back to work. But when we were down there for about an hour or two and then they were like, no, it's only going to get worse. And then they just kept showing the people coming down, um, you know, towards the Capitol from the the – the rally or whatever. And it, it was right. like, well, this isn't going away. You guys need to, you just go home for the day and come back tomorrow. And so we left and <laughs> so I was weird. about halfway down the freeway when they ended up breaching the Capitol. But yeah, crazy. Wild. The Afghanistan withdrawal any... was definitely different though.
1: I had, yeah, I, I would have to imagine what was, what was the general feeling as the Afghanistan withdrawal happened because there was lead up. It's just sure. not everybody was aware of, the, you know, the, the way that the media portrayed this thing is, you know, in the dead of night, we just kind of like cut the zipper lines and, you know, we got out. But I can tell you from being involved in the conversations, this was weeks and months planned um, out. So as we were leading up to Afghanistan, what was the general feeling up there?
2: I think it was from my office, because, you know, you get your perspective from your office and then talking to the other fellows on the Hill. It was was really, we were just concerned about getting the people out that, that we wanted to get out. And and when you start talking about the amount of, of networking that people have, I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of phone calls coming into the, congr- the congressman's office every single day. Hey, so and so still there? Hey, they've got a family member. They know this person. They were an interpreter wow. that worked with the Americans. Like, so you're trying to like weed through. We had a spreadsheet that was going. It was just, and they would call his district office. They would call, you know, the the, the DC office. And so they just continued to just like. And so, what became overwhelming was keeping track of all these people that we were trying to help get out and then finding ways. And then we had a Slack message with all the other fellows that were going in there. And everybody's mm-hmm. like, hey, we got this going. Hey, does anyone move over to this gate? If you move all your people to this gate, we can get them in and this and that. And so, there was tons of like, you know, hey, I need, you know, bartering and trading. I need to get somebody out. Does anybody still have a flight that's got seats? Is this and that? Hey, my congressional member's asking about this. Does anybody have information about this? so it was it was a lot of that a lot and a lot of of just trying to use your network, your connections to to get people out and to help them but wow, it was intense. We were work, definitely working long hours that week a week or two
3: but but after that week, did anybody did anybody up there ask you because uh, I'm assuming you spent a fair bit of time over in that country did anybody come up and ask you like how that felt for you or how that impacted you or what your opinion was on on kind of how it all it went down and your your general you know, overarching uh, feeling about Afghanistan in general after that?
2: Yeah. So I was lucky in a Senate office, uh, the senator has about 60 people on the staff, right? So you you don't get as much face time with a senator uh, as you do with a House member. A House member only has about maybe 10 people on the staff. And that House member, you get to see on a daily basis when they're in the office, when when they're there in D.C. working every day. So the congressman would come back every day and he would talk every day about something or he'd be like, hey, everyone come in the office. And we'll, let's have a talk. Or he would just do a drive by and just want to talk about Afghanistan or you want to tell war stories or whatever. So, yeah, there were several conversations we had about it, um, you know, to include like, hey, how do you feel? Are you good? you know, or, you know, they would, you know, go to things like, hey, what do you think about this? Or, you know, and then when the Abbey Gate situation happened, then it kind of escalated. And, you know, you're watching the videos of the C-17s coming in and out and the people hanging on them. And, you know, there's a lot of questions about like, you know, for people who haven't been, like, why are they so desperate? You know, why, why do they want out so bad? You know what I mean? Just your perspective on the situation, on, on, you know, what you saw while you were there, why people are so desperate. They because you know, if you've never been, and you're just here and you that's all you've grown up with is seeing us fight, but you don't, you don't understand the culture. It's, it's more about like, Hey, why are they, why are they acting this way? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like well, can't they just go to the border and drive across the border and leave? And you're like, <laughs> yeah. eh, that's, oh, yeah. that's not how it works.
3: Yeah. So <laughs> you know? yeah,
2: they yeah, the definitely on the other a side of that of border
3: times. might not be, yeah, the people on the other side of that border might not be excited for you to come across and they don't right. value human life the way that we do, you know? Like, right. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. um, but also so. with that, do you feel like a lot of pressure to, to, you know, you're, you're the face of the community. You're the face of not just the air force, but you're the face attack P up there. You're the face of all these other things. Like, do you, do you have a hard time, like figuring out what your personal opinion is? Like when the, the house uh, rep comes to you and, and asks you your opinion, like, is it just your personal opinion or are you also trying to represent for your entire community you know, like trying to balance that out and not yep. make it sound like, you know, like how do you differentiate between the two and, and what's that like?
2: Well, one, you cannot have a political opinion. So I have zero political right. opinion. Uh, and that was from Jump Street. You know, I told them that. You make it very clear. Like, I, I don't care politically one way or another. Like, there's good and bad on both sides. You know what I mean? I agree sometimes, I disagree. Like, that, that's I'm not, not what I'm here to do. I'm literally here to work hard for you, to lend you my perspective, and to, to push and, and help the DOD initiative, the Air Force agenda, the special warfare agenda, whatever that is. Right. That's, I'm completely bipartisan. Um, and I don't care what, whatever is happening is happening. So once you get that out of the way, then it's more about, you know, Hey, what is your opinion on this? And there's definitely times where you can give a personal opinion and you just, Hey, this is my, my personal opinion about situations, never about politics, but about situations. Yes. Um, And then there are other times I think when you when you say, hey, like, I understand, but you have to look at the bigger picture where people say, you know, things like this. I'll give you I'll give you a great example. There are people who think that, you know, they were upset in the aftermath of, you know, hey, General Milley. Right. I'll just say the General Milley, for instance, you had a lot of people that were saying, oh, what's he doing? He's, uh, he's killing us like he's making the worst decisions ever. And I'm like, you know, he, even, the, you know, I had congressional members saying the same thing. Like, ah, General Milley, he needs to go. He's got to go. We need, he needs to resign. This is a failed, failed, you know, exfil. And I'm like, listen, first of all, you need to put something in perspective right now. I have a boss. You have a boss. Guess what? General Milley's got a boss. And when the boss tells him it's time to move out, it's time to move out. It doesn't matter what advice he has given him. Whatever orders he's giving, he's doing. And so I think that you know has to always come into it for for frame of reference when you're there cuz you know you'd have to talk them down a lot they get very emotional they want to be political about certain things and you have to be like hey don't look at this politically he's not looking at this politically he's looking at I have a job at hand here's what I have to do I'm going to move out and do it to the best of my ability but he's still taking orders he's still doing everything that he can do to try to fulfill the orders that he's been given so there's a lot there's a lot of like the political crossover I think when, we, when they get worked up about certain issues and you have to just kind of tamp it down and be like, all right, listen, let's look at this holistically. Let's not have a knee-jerk reaction here. Do that when the cameras are rolling, but in the office, let's just think about this for a second, you know?
3: Yeah. This is a well, political
2: I, theater in here. I don't need you to do that in here. Like, we need to have a rational conversation in here.
3: This isn't the stage. This is, yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> um, And I'm sure, like, this is... One other thing is is you're so high up there and like the Congress people are so high up there. And I think there's the intent of legislation or policies to impact, right? That's where you kind of like shorten that chain. And and that's what you're there to to provide. Right. Cause like, I think it's easy that high up to like put out a policy and and assume that, you know what the impact is going to be, but like you've been down at the bottom floor and seen the impacts. And is that, are you there to translate kind of what you think could happen based on these, these policies that the impact is not always clear from, from up there on the Hill?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think yeah, you try to impact it. If, the, if they want to push legislation, right, and then they're going to push legislation, it's really your job to kind of help shape uh, that legislation so that it fits as best for everybody. So they get what they want out of it, whether that's to just um, show their constituents that they've pushed some legislation, whether that's to really make an impact within DOD, or whether it's to, you know, just kind of you know, politically gain some points. Hey, look what I did. You know what I mean? Get some political wins. Uh, Your job's really there to kind of provide perspective. Like, well, hey, if we ask for this here, here's the second and third order effects, you know, so you're kind of providing that context. Well, if we go this way, you know, that's, that may not be good for these members, you know, this, you know, let's, you know, take SDAP, you know what I mean? SDAP has been a huge talking point this year with internal, obviously. Yeah. Internal to the air force. Internal to DOD, but it's also a hot topic on the Hill because when you're talking about budgets and money and constraints and all these new programs you want to pay for, the first thing that members say was like, wow, well, okay, you're getting a 4.6% pay increase. And you know what I mean? Like, well, they're making, they're making so much more money. You know what I mean? They're making... I
1: yeah. I hate to involve math in this, but if I'm doing my
2: if I'm doing my math right,
1: right eight point three year over year inflation minus a four percent raise, we're still taking a four percent pay cut. That's yep. just pop you know what? Yep, I'll demonetize myself, guys. I'm gonna hit mute. I'm gonna sit over
2: here. But but you <laughs> have people, you have members who see those things and they say, Ah, hey, the money's gotta come from somewhere. You wanna do all these other things, you gotta tell me what's not important or what's important. And so yeah. you know, they're they don't understand, they're not making they're not a one C snuffy making thirty thousand dollars a year who can barely pay for you know you know have a house or an apartment and you know be able to put you know have electricity and water and everything else to put food on the table. So I, there's those contextual things that you've got to be able to bring that in and not be afraid to say something like, "Hey, well, this is why this matters to these to these people. It may not matter to you and me, you know what I mean, but it matters to to the airman. And if I had been an airman in that in that perspective and in those shoes." That's, that's, I would be hurting too. I'd be like, no, we cannot do this. I cannot afford that right now. So,
0: yeah, and that's, a, that's a real struggle that we're dealing with every single day. Anytime I get a new airman that shows up or yep. not even an airman, I like sometimes staff we'll have sergeants captains, brand new. Yeah. Brand staff sergeants, E6 even yeah. that yeah. are like, dude, how do I? And it's, I, I've got a mass sergeant right now that just got here and with the, the interest rate and the housing here in Vegas. He's like, dude, I'm I'm literally renting a couch, off. right? Yeah, I mean because he's he can't afford any place, you yeah. know. And I'm I'm not saying that that's everybody's situation. And everybody's situation is different, but I mean that like that is real. And these a1c senior airmen, like, it's stuff that we're dealing with every single day. So it's it's frustrating, especially yeah. from my end because there's only so much I can do, yeah, uh, about it. But did you ever? Working with people up there, did you ever have anybody that just wouldn't listen to you?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. You definitely have people that are not going to listen to <laughs> I you. Knew it. Yeah, I knew it. Yeah.
1: Those flat teeth, leaf eating. Tell us who your <laughs> least favorite representative is and why. <laughs> is. <laughs> oh my god.
2: Yeah. Oh, whoa oh, you can't get it. You can't. can get into that. Can't get into that. But all you right, right, definitely have. Right, we'll edit that out. We'll yeah, edit yeah that you. Out. You can't. You can't no, talk we really about. Well. No. <laughs> so the members, you really have no say in it. So I'll step back and say, uh, so the program's three years long. The first six months you spend in what's called a developmental tour. So when you guys had Josh Leonard on a few weeks ago, this services now allegedly is on, he's in that dev tour right now. So he hasn't gone to the Hill. In the dev tour, you do, you can be placed anywhere. You can go to Rand. Uh, you can be in, you know, the Air Force component. Um, I went, to, I got lucky. I went to the state department so we're in the nice. State Department's Ledge Affairs for six months, which was kind of cool, getting to see the inside of the State Department while they were in a, a uh, administration change leading up to elections, uh, things like that. So that was all going on, uh, interesting. At the same time, the Air Force is going to pay for you to go to Georgetown and go and get a graduate certificate in legislative studies. So the officers getting the same exact thing. So you're in there with all them. Um, you do that for, like I said, the first six months. And then in January, when the new Congress starts, you do January to December. So you do a full year on the Hill and you do not get to pick the office you're in. You have zero say in what office you get placed in. The majority of the time, the offices that get fellows are members that are on either the House Armed Services Committee, Senate Armed Services Committee, or uh, the House Appropriations Committee, Subcommittee Defense, or Senate uh, Appropriations Committee, Subcommittee Defense, obviously because they're defense related it's where you can provide perspective. Now you do get people who get assigned to members that are only on veterans affairs committees or things like that. So you spend a year doing that. And then the backside of that, the Air Force and DOD goes, hey, we'd like 18 months return on investment. We just giving you all this education and this really cool experience. We want 18 months for you to come back in to the building, to the Pentagon and and pay it back. And basically uh, you can go same places. You can go in, you can do like joint staff. You can do, I'm working in OSD ledge affairs. Uh, you can go back into the Air Force ledge Affairs, something like that. So they leverage the the education experience you've just gotten, and they do that for eighteen months. Um, and so once that's done, then you go back to uh, your career field. So like right now, they, my duty AFSC, I'm a nine November. Uh, I'll go back to my my duty AFSC being a you know one Z three. You know when when this is all said and done, and and these are the Air Force. And to a uh, comment Aaron made earlier. It's not just for for E8s and E9s. So we're trying to make the program younger. It was only E8s. You can't be an E9 select. Uh, They take your name off the list. They find out you've applied and that happens. You can make it in the program. You just can't have made it before the program. But we're about to make it so that we focus on, it's going to be E7 and E8s. Because what we found is we're getting a lot of people who transition out of the military towards the end of this. Like They don't have much time on the backside if they did a three-year commitment or whatever to get in. And so we're trying to make it a little younger to get more time. If we're making strategic leaders with, with the intent of the program, then we want more, I guess, str- strategic leader time in the Air Force on the backside. But that, so,
0: that goes right back. I mean, that makes sense to me because it goes yep. right back to whenever you're at the Senior NCO Academy, you're at JASA or something like that. You go, man, I really wish I had had this information prior, <laughs> you know, in my previous rank. Right. Um So that, I mean, that's really good because as an E7, maybe you even make senior out of there. Sure. You're You're going to get promoted. Right. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, For sure. But I mean, like just the knowledge base and the experience that you get to have is is huge. Yeah. Um, So like kind of with that, then I, I... I know since where you're at now you probably get a lot of Air Force and DOD leadership engagement and stuff like that just cuz you're walking the same halls with these folks but Sure. How about when you were at the State Department kind of working on the hill did you get much Air Force and DOD uh leadership engagement?
2: Uh no not the State Department. So none, zero the State Department. That was really all focused on um you know, just their internal workings and what they're doing on it, at embassies and things like that. Their own um, kind of legislation that they were working on inside the building. Now, yeah, you get a lot. Um, so, the assistant secretary that I works for, that I work for literally is the the senior advisor for the sec, the SecDef and Dept SecDef. Um, so we go to engagements all the time between members and. Um, you know, principals or or SMEs inside the Pentagon. We take them to meetings on the Hill. I mean, you're talking about high-level SES engagement uh, for whatever portfolio you're working on. You're taking them to the Hill to meet members and have have discussions about things that DOD is working on. Um, and and then you're you're you know you're like you're saying you're in that realm where you're working with under undersecret- undersecretaries of defense, assistant secretaries of defense, where you're you're managing their legislative portfolio and helping to kind of shape. The engagements that they have, because those are then important. Because if I'm taking them to the hill to, t- to discuss certain things with members, that's going to then shape legislation. Because most of the time, these the senators or congressmen they want to engage with DOD and they want to be helpful, uh, and it matters for us because we need to make sure that we're then taking them to be helpful and not like you know you're not you, you know what I mean. You're you're the liaison. I'm still doing liaising right now. You know what I mean. I'm not doing it between the Army and the Air Force. What I'm doing it I'm doing it between congressional members and you know, members of the DOD. And I'm like, all right, hey, listen, we need to get in the room and talk. You tell them you're all great ideas over here. You make sure you put them into the legislation and then we'll be good to go. That's
0: so, why you're a good fit.
2: Yeah. That's <laughs> it, I'm, yep. I'm you're a connector. You, you're the glue special guy. Special warfare needs. It's an it's an untapped, uh, I think, resource for our guys. We, we definitely need to uh, continue to do this. The Army does a good job. Of, and and MARSOC, there's a Marsot guy in the program right now. I think he's the second or third guy in the program. Uh, the army has been putting ODA, uh, officers through this. Uh, the Navy has seals most of the time seal officers, but, uh, there, there have been a few, I think enlisted, but, uh, the Navy has the smallest program of that, but yeah, Marsoc has definitely caught on. There's a Marsoc guy in the dev program. He'll be in Josh's class, uh, that he's getting ready to go to the hill. He works in OSD right now. So we've had some good war stories, but yeah, he's, (laughs) he's good. Yeah. So we need to get better at it.
3: Yeah. Like like everything, all the time. Um, but like, obviously, I think you, like Peach was saying, you're a good fit up there. You've uh, you've been successful. But it, I'm just thinking, like, you you were talking about your mentors earlier, and I'm talking, I'm thinking about Yo Yo, LZ, and Jamie, and the way that we all talk to each other, you know. And then going yeah. from like that environment up to the hill, like, what kind of a, a culture shock was that? As as you got up there, and you know, the communication style might be a little different, or I'm assuming, or maybe it's not. I don't know. You tell me.
2: Yeah, it's definitely different. I mean you have to uh Yeah, I, to be honest though, there are staffers on, on these in these member offices and staffers that work on the hill that are way more blunt than we are. I'm like, Well, you can't say that. What do you say? You can't say that in here. <laughs> Would you you're imagine saying, it, it imagine a, yeah, imagine Attack
1: P Chiefs sitting in that room going, Whoa, hey, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There are certain Let things you're just down. like you're like
2: you start looking around like, Whoa, what did you did you just say I love that in it. here? Yeah, I and you're like, like
1: when you start reading the room, when you're like you, you just kind of like back away, yeah. and you're like looking to see the reaction. Like nobody yeah. else is reacting. You know? I, I didn't know. I
0: didn't say a, that. That wasn't me. Yeah, like <laughs>
1: I, like this is a fist fight where I'm from. I know like, you. You can't say that. Yeah. Somebody's got to go.
2: And there are certain people too where you're like, I did not expect that, and it catches you off guard even more. You're just like, whoa. <laughs> and you kind of look around to see if anyone else had the same reaction. And there's a couple of people like, you know, I, it it was, <clears throat> it, it was not as buttoned up you know what I mean? As I thought it would be, there is definitely a lot of honest conversation happening in there. Uh, I will also say too, there, you know, the political theater that you see on TV with members, cause that's the other thing people would say like, well, how are they Do they Are they, you know, just like completely off the, off their rocker, you know, is it the exact same thing you see on TV? And it, it's absolutely not. I mean, TV is, is what you see on TV is that that is for a reason. You know what I mean? That is, they're, mm-hmm. That is politics. That is political theater. They are doing that to, to send a message, to play to, to certain things, to get mes- you know, messages across. When it is more in office uh, and more you know, out on the floor voting and things like that, there are a lot of members who are like, I never thought they would be friends. And they're all friends and they all talk and they all have each other's phone numbers. And you know what I mean? It's like flipping a switch. It's like you know us talking right here, right now. And then you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we go out there, and I'm like, "Oh, these guys, you know, they're ridiculous." The one's ready podcast. Well, and you know what
1: I mean? The, the <laughs> well, cameras that's are going to happen
2: anyway. What yeah. if I
1: told you that's it, it's a
2: real thing? And it's well, that, I know it is. I just yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I mean, you know, you have those those people that are out there, yeah, that are yeah. So no, that's it, amazing. A lot of honest conversations. Yeah, it's it's definitely not what I thought it was.
1: Okay. Well, don't, don't think here. I just want you to start ripping off, just start name dropping. Let's, let's get some names out. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. I'm, as as I'm you I'm hits,
2: unrecorded. <laughs> I'll give you all of them. Exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm already responsible for one edit this podcast. I think I'm going to call it good. Um, you know, I, I just keep listening to you and I, and I hear, I hear so many things that we talk about, but you're presenting it in a different optic. People always ask us, okay, what can, what kind of job can I do in aspect war? What kind of things will aspect war open the door? An enlisted TACP with combat experience is literally telling us about his time advising congressmen, House of Representatives, governors, uh, all the way up to SES. For those of you that are not tracking, SES is like an O11 equivalent. It's it's no kidding. You know, some of the highest rank that you can get inside of the United States government. Like no kidding, turning this huge ship that we call the DoD. So. Do you, what do you feel like in your, in your TACP life, right? Like, as everything has led up to now and all of your experiences have led up to now. What through the pipeline did you learn as a TACP that you're no kidding applying up there in this political environment?
2: Ooh, oh, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Thanks guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was deep on that one. Uh, it, let's man. see. What, what did I learn? Uh, I think I probably learned throughout that. Kind of like what Trent said earlier. Everything one is a competition, uh, and and I think really for me, I, I'm trying to set my own path. Um, so I, I tell I used to tell guys, young guys all the time, and, and I still tell people, uh, your career is your career. So the minute I tell someone like, you got to go check that box, man. Like you you have to go do X, Y, and Z because if you don't, you know you're just not going to go anywhere. So I I don't believe I don't subscribe to that. I guess philosophy. I subscribe to the, this is your career. How do you want to, I guess, live your career? What do you want to do? Uh, for me, I wanted to do things that were unique and outside the box. And uh, I guess just kind of be satisfied with what I was doing every single day. Because I had worked for three years where I was completely unsatisfied before I came in. So for me, it was it was finding opportunities, I think, that that really drive home what... Uh, I, I want to do with my career. If that makes sense. Like do something unique. That's, that's what I said. So like when I was at the 14th, what do I want to do next? I want to go to soft. And I want to do that for a while. You know, I went to Canada to try something new, to try a two series, to, to step outside the like normal, you know, boxes of like stay in the 17th longer or, you know, go somewhere else. Like I, I wanted to try a two series. Oh yeah. By the way, they're building a squadron from scratch. Cool. That sounds fun. Let's try that. Um, you know, do things that are that are challenging yet completely outside. And if somebody tells you, like, "Oh, don't do that; it'll ruin your career," uh, chances are, it's probably not going to ruin your career. It's going to make you completely uh, different from them, which people don't like different. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Same same thing. Like when someone's people said, "Don't go be the app sock PM. <sighs> worst job ever. You'll, you'll never. It's it's terrible." No, it actually wasn't. Yeah. I learned a ton. Yes, it's on staff, and it, that part was rough. Thankfully, though, I meet peaches. And we end up crushing it and having a great time. And that worked out well. Same thing for this. What can I do that's unique? It's completely different. Like I want to go off on an island. Set, you know what I mean? Like point me in the right direction and just tell me to go, and I'm gonna go. And tell me what the mission is. I'll knock it out. That's that's kind of what I want. Like I want I wanted to do things that were just completely like different. And, and going forward, I want to continue to do the same thing. Like I don't want to have to do the, like oh the cookie cutter thing. Some people that is their thing. I'm not I'm not saying that it's not, but. Yeah, I, I just I, I wanted to come off and, and kind of do something different.
0: No, and you obviously have. And that's a that's a great answer to a great question. So um, you you hit on a little bit and, and usually what we like to do, uh, especially with folks that are as articulate as you are, um, kind of ask advice to to the demographic, which is 15 to 35 year olds that are actually listening sure. to us that are wanting to come in and be aspect war and kind of have all kinds of questions, but like what's some advice that you can give to them as they're coming in to do what the four of us actually do?
2: Be the best at every single thing that you do. If you're literally not trying to win or be the best at every single thing that you do, you're just wasting your own time. And I can tell you right now, there's four or five other people that are right there next to you that are trying to be the best. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to move right past you. And those are going to be the people that, that continue to just excel and get what they want because they're crushing it every single day. Like this was, I used to preach this in the team room every single time. It was like, a, it was, we had a team brief that would hang on the wall and in giant letters, it said, be the best. That doesn't mean I have to be the best, you know, and be completely focused on myself. I can be the best teammate. I can be the best husband. I can be the best father. I can do all those things. That doesn't mean you're going to achieve it. And there's going to be people out there forever that are going to be better than you at certain things like I have I n- no doubt I am definitely not the smartest I'm not the fastest I'm not x y and z but guess what I'm going to continue to work at that even to this day I get up and grind every single day if you are not doing that then man you're you're in the wrong place it's just flat out like this is not for you I don't even know how to say it more clear than that like I used to tell same thing I tell young guys all the time in the team room same thing and I know you guys do too if you're not trying to be the best shooter, if you're not trying to be the best operator, best JTAC, best PJ, best special reconnaissance, I I, I cannot, I, I have no time for that. There's no, there's not enough time already to deal with, with everything else that's going on inside that room, you know, and with the pipeline and everything else, I have no time for that. So you're going to get left behind and I'm going to continue to move out with all everyone else who's trying to be the best. So.
0: Okay. Well, uh, Take that to heart, folks, because I'm. Well, that's a sound I gotta, clip. I to I got I mean, to, yeah, that you, is a sound bite, but I got to go, I got to go like work out or something.
1: Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you just want to take it? Do you want to take my spot on this podcast? Yeah. Because I'm obviously, <laughs> I'm not needed here. Like, I'm just more of a
0: color commentator at this point. Like, you, we got to keep oh you around for gosh. Fight Club
2: comments, movie quotes. we have to keep stuff like uh, that going. That that's nice.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm about to take, uh, take Wyatt Go karting and so yeah. now I'm going to go beat his ass on the show. Yeah.
2: And right. so then just tell him, like, dude, were you trying to be the best? I mean, come on. Yeah. Were you trying to be the Where best and not the listening to Jeep?
0: Yeah. Come on. <laughs> just as I'm hitting him.
2: Yeah. I didn't see it lashes. today,
1: Wyatt, because uh, these things don't have uh, rearview mirrors on
0: them. No, <laughs> 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 DJ, really appreciate you joining us. Uh, no, nah, thanks, guys. And, uh, and definitely a... a a great person to reach out to if you have any questions or absolutely and i'm sure you have got a line of people that would be naming you as their mentor so uh, definitely appreciate your friendship friendship everything that we've same. done in the past uh on the staff and uh look forward to continuing to work with you same everybody out there uh please like subscribe hit the notification bell leave us a review and uh we'll see you later